you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Good morning, church. Uh, back in August, uh, Michaela and I celebrated our 14th uh, wedding anniversary. And so this weekend, uh, we're doing a belated uh, anniversary celebration in Hot Springs. And so we took off on Friday morning and uh, we'll come back tonight. And so this morning in our gathering, we get to open up the scriptures uh, with Kate Friesen. Kate, many of you will recognize and know she serves uh, in our worship ministry. And Kate and I originally met at the University of Sioux Falls. Uh, and so before Michaela and I had kids, uh, we served at the University of Sioux Falls in the freshman dorm. We were resident directors. And so we were kind of in charge of 80 freshman uh, students as they began their college career. And so we had a little apartment um, in the building. And that's kind of where I originally uh, met Kate. Kate and I have served together um, in a youth ministry context, and I'm just so thankful and excited uh, that you get to um, hear from her this morning. She graduated from the University of Sioux Falls uh, with a degree in theology and then went on to Sioux Falls Seminary and got her Master's of Divinity there. And so um, Kate is a gifted, effective, engaging communicator, and so I'm excited that you get to um, sit in the scriptures, the fourth chapter of Ephesians uh, with her this morning. So with all of that, it would be amazing if you would join me in uh, giving her a, a rowdy welcome as she comes up. Good morning. I don't need this one, so I'm going to put it not there. Okay. I wasn't sure what he was going to say, so <laughs> um, I am so grateful and blessed to be here with you this morning. Um, this is the first time, I've been preaching in the area for nine years, and this is the first time that I have been in a church uh, where I've actively been a member, so this is exciting. Um, this morning, we get to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, um, and it's going to be on the screen here, so we're going to go ahead and uh, read through that. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. When I was a junior at the University of Sioux Falls, um, I began my first of two years as a resident assistant in uh, one of the larger mixed-gender dorms, not where Dave and Michaela served, but in, uh, in Sullivan, if you're familiar with campus. There were 10 of us on staff at this dorm, and if you're not familiar with what the job of a resident assistant is, it's basically to keep kids in line, uh, make sure the building doesn't burn down, and foster relationships um, among the students. In your own um, smaller unit um, in Sullivan, they're called pods, and then sometimes we would have activities as a whole dorm. Um, we would do activities, we would do Bible studies, we would um, live together, basically, and, uh, and try and make life good for everyone. So this required the RA staff to work together really well um, and to communicate really well, which we often did. However, sometimes we failed. Early, early, early on, um, it was actually during RA training, so before most of the student body had moved in, we, all 10 of us, were trying to figure out how to put the back seats in somebody's minivan down so we could all pile in it and go to Dairy Queen for blizzards. Yes, these were the kids in charge of your kids. Everyone was offering suggestions. Oh, you know, push that button or pull that lever, but we could not figure it out. Nobody was really listening. It was chaos, and everyone wanted to be the one to be like, yes, this is what we do. And finally, one of the dudes had enough. Guys, guys. There's getting it done, and there's not getting it done. And right now, we are not getting it done. We all stopped at once, struck by the sheer brilliance of what he had just said, which gave him enough time to hop in the back, push the button, and pull the lever at the same time, and put the seats down. With that, we had both our ice cream and our motto for the upcoming year, getting it done. We learned through plenty of trial and error that we were the most successful when we listened to each other and took the best parts of what everyone had to offer and worked together. When we worked together as a cohesive unit, there was very little we couldn't accomplish very few things we couldn't get done. Now, again, we, we were not always good at this. Uh, there were some very strong personalities on that team, apart from my own. <laughs> and sometimes uh, things were said that, well, maybe that came out wrong. We didn't quite mean that. Now we need to backtrack and apologize and, and start over and try again. But we did it. We did it because we had this common goal of living together well, 
and being in community well and making life enjoyable for our residents and hopefully being hired back again the next year. Our passage in Ephesians today is the hinge between the main theological statement of chapters 1 through 3, so everything we've talked about to this point, and all of the instruction coming up. There's a lot to go yet. In it, Paul lays out um, how we are to behave as the body of Christ, as a cohesive unit with different strengths and talents, but with one thing in common. Jesus died for all of us, and the Holy Spirit holds us all together. I'm going to go through this verse by verse, and also this is a a morning of firsts. Um, In nine years of preaching, I've never preached with slides, so we're going to see how this goes. Um, So the next slide, which is just the first verse, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. If you have been following along with Invitation this fall, as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, um, you may remember that Paul is writing this letter while he is under house arrest. He probably wrote it around the same time that he wrote to the Colossians, um, but unlike a lot of the letters he wrote, this was not in response to anything the Ephesians were doing wrong. Paul was not um, telling them off for anything, so we shouldn't read it that way. In fact, this letter may have been intended um, to be a circular, read by a lot of gatherings in the area around Ephesus. So Paul explains the entire reason for the church in those first three chapters, what we've just gone through um, this fall, and then he tells them how to be the church, starting uh, right here. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling um, to which you have been called. So... Let's remember who called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. God has called us. God chose us before the very foundation of the world. And what's more, even after sin was introduced, even after Adam and Eve screwed up, God still wanted us for God's own. Sin complicates things. Um, But God made a way for us to be reconciled again in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It has been God's plan from the very beginning to live in relationship with what God has created. That means our lives need to be lived in a way that is worthy of this calling. Not that anything we could ever do uh, would deserve it or be worthy on its own but because this calling both calls for and calls forth a life in line with God's intent for all creation. I think there's a little bit of freedom there. Nothing we could do would ever be worthy of this. I think there's a little freedom there. But how do we do this? Uh, Moving on to verses 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. (laughs) So, okay, Paul knows that these churches are full of human beings, right? Humans that are flawed, humans that have opinions and interpretations that are different from everyone and think that theirs is the way that things should be done. 
These are really nice words and a very high and lofty calling, but it's the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is not a man-made unity. This right here, this is not man-made. Nothing on earth that humans can come up with would bind us together more strongly than the Holy Spirit. No school, no town, no football team, no denomination, no earthly nation can bring this kind of unity. It transcends that because while none of those things are inherently bad, they are established and run by created beings. The Holy Spirit that binds all believers together is the creator himself. The word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach, and it also means breath or wind. So when God breathed life into Adam in Genesis, he imparted a little bit of spirit into Adam. In the second chapter of Acts, when we read about the mighty wind filling the room where the disciples were gathered after the ascension of Jesus, it's that same word, it's that same spirit. Jesus promised his believers and his followers the Holy Spirit to advocate, to help, to bind us together. The connection that we have to each other, thanks to the Holy Spirit, is emphasized in the next verse. There it is. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This unity that we have, this is a gift from God. And Paul notes that by naming seven things that are one. Body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, God and Father of all. Seven, the number of completion, the number of spiritual perfection in the ancient world. God is the final thing listed and is really the perfect example of unity. What better model do we have than Father, Son, and Spirit? Three entities unique unto themselves in personality and action, but entirely united in purpose and motivation. For the last couple of weeks, I've had this song stuck in my head, and um, it's a country song, and I am not a country music lover, but I am also aware that I am in the vast minority of that in this part of the world, and I have coworkers who are country music lovers, and I am a mature adult, so when it's on in the kitchen, I will listen to it. And so if this is, if I have the reference wrong, you'll have to excuse me or correct me. Either one is fine. Um, but I believe it's Maren Morris who sings, if the bones are good, the rest don't matter. And it may be someone else, but I think it's her. Um, if the bones are good, the rest don't matter. And it's been stuck, that chorus has been stuck in my head for a couple of weeks. And I think this is why. We have, if we have these things in common, the rest don't matter. With that, Paul takes a little bit of a detour. He spends the next couple of verses 
clarifying his quote from one of the Psalms, talking about who Christ is. In so doing, he declares that Christ is the reason for our unity. The death of Christ has made a way for all things to be reconciled to himself. And this is a foreshadowing of the great reconciliation in the new heavens and the new earth after the second coming of Christ. We as believers are reconciled not only to God, but to each other. We are unified by this sacrifice and by the hope that it produces. And we have the heavy responsibility to protect that unity. If we fail to do this, it will damage our witness. And to illustrate this, allow me to take a bit of a leap. Um, Think back to a time where you worked really hard on something for someone else. Maybe um, you were creating something. Um, I work for Oh My Cupcakes here in town and I've been there about five years. I didn't bring any today, so this is a big bait and switch. I'm really sorry about that. Um, (laughs) But one of the things I do there is I am uh, the main wedding consultant. I'm kind of the director of weddings. We do a lot, a lot, a lot of weddings. Um, It actually makes up about 15% of our business. And along with the cupcakes, um, often there is a little six-inch cake that goes along with it. The couples can choose. Um, to have a cake if they are going to have a cutting ceremony um, or if they just want something um, that's pretty. And um, they're absolutely gorgeous. I am not the one who creates these cakes, but I sell them. And often the time and the effort that goes into creating these is intense and the results are stunning. So When the customer comes to pick up the cake, we tell them everything they need to know to get the cake to its destination safely, okay? Carry it with one hand on the bottom of the box. Don't carry it like this. Carry it like this, underneath the cake itself. Put it on the floor of your vehicle, not on the seat where it's slanted and could slide around. Even though we tape it to the box, things happen. Make sure there's nothing on the seat that can slide off onto the box and then we let it go. It's in their hands. And if they do everything right, the cake will get to where it's going in one piece, and all of their guests will see the amazing, fantastic, beautiful things that come out of the magical cupcake kitchen. That's really what it's called, the magical cupcake kitchen. If the customer is not careful with the cake, Um, If they don't follow the instructions they give them, if they take all the corners at 40 miles an hour and put it in the wrong spot and stack things on top of it, there is a solid chance that the cake will not look great when it's time to be presented. I think I perhaps just compared my job to God, but you see where I'm going with this, right? An awful lot of work has been accomplished on our behalf. Work that we could never hope to do ourselves. It is our job to honor that work, to protect what it has produced and what it is aiming to continue producing. Oh, my cupcakes wouldn't look very good if all the cakes that came out of the kitchen had a fingerprint in them or they were crooked or dropped. And neither does the body of Christ 
look very appealing when the parts don't work, either together or at all. So we have the what. Paul has given us what we are to do. We also have the why. Paul has explained thoroughly our reasons for unity, and now we get the how. How do we accomplish this lofty goal in a practical way? Well, we have people to help us out. In verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, just a quick thing on those first two mentioned apostles and prophets. This is the person of Paul writing specifically to his own time and his own place in history. We haven't had any apostles since the time of the New Testament because part of the definition of the word apostle is uh, someone who has seen the risen Lord. And that was a very, very small group of people. Um, by the time Paul is writing this, it was even smaller than it had been. Prophets are a little trickier. Um, there haven't really been very many successful prophets that we would think of um, like along the lines of the Old Testament for a very long time. I believe God gives prophetic words to people um, for certain seasons, for certain times, um, and that is a gift that we can experience in the body of Christ. But we haven't had a Daniel or a Nathan or a Samuel for a long, long, long time. But evangelists, teachers, and pastors, we have those. Um, did you catch the definition of their job? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church so they don't do all the work themselves. Ideally, we don't pay pastors to do all the work. We pay them to teach us to do how the work because that is our job. Our job is to do the work of God and to build up the church, both internally and externally. We encourage each other and walk with each other in the ways of the Lord. And by doing that, we witness to the rest of the world. Insert plug for community groups here. I grew up in the small town of Freeman. Well, I spent the second half of my growing up years in Freeman, which is a community not very far from here. And um, some of you may be familiar with that place. Um, it's a town of about 1,300, and there's a dozen churches in and around um, that town. I was, I was born into the church, and I was raised in it. And I was educated by the uh, private Christian education system for 21 of the 24 years that I was a student. I didn't personally actually interact much um, with non-Christians at all until I had my first job post-college at the age of 22 when I was just starting seminary. I was working in the mall and I became ultra aware of the fact that I was different and that my coworkers sometimes acted differently around me, mainly in the things that they said and the ways they chose to express those things. Here was my chance to put into practice what I had been taught literally my whole life. 
Was I successful? I don't know. I'll probably never know. I had some good conversations with people, and I was the coworker with the listening ear and the most patience, which truly was an act of God for anyone who knows me even a little bit. After a few years, it became clear to me that I needed to leave that job for my own mental health. The reason I didn't quit sooner is because I was actively involved in a church which sustained me through some pretty difficult work situations. And 90% of those situations happened between the months of October and about the middle of January. So please be kind <laughs> to the retail workers. And it, it's a completely different world now than it was then, but the message remains. When I was finally able to leave that job, the church was there for me through that transition. And even though I'm no longer with that church, I think I can say that this is a good example of what's supposed to happen. I was being spiritually nourished by a body of believers, and in turn, was witnessing to the world at large. That doesn't always mean that we are called to go preach on the street corners or go to the ends of the earth. We live into the callings that we have been given right here, whatever and wherever that may be. It's not our job to save the world ourselves. It is our job to be faithful. We're not in charge of outcomes. We're in charge of obedience. And I think there's some freedom to be found in that as well. The whole point of this is growth. Martin Luther, who we talked about a little bit last week, um, has this great quote, which is going to be up here. Uh, this life, therefore, is not godliness, but the process of becoming godly. Not health, but getting well. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not now what we shall be, but we are on the way. The process is not yet finished, but it is actively going on. This is not the goal, but it is the right road. At present, everything does not gleam and sparkle, but everything is being cleansed. I love this quote. I need it framed in my apartment <laughs> to remember. This is a process. We are not there yet. Sometimes there are seasons of what I have heard called negative growth. This can be either plateauing or loss, and many churches are familiar with both because unity is really difficult. This whole passage should stand out to the church, um, capital C, church, meaning all two billion of us, because we have all failed at this at one point or another. Some of us are failing right now. But here is why we need to continue to work at this, to pick ourselves back up and try again. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. There it is. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Another Lutheran theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, gave us some practical ways to do that in his letters and papers from prison, which is the next slide. In a word, live together in the forgiveness of your sins, for without it, no human fellowship, least of all a marriage, can survive. Don't insist on your rights. Don't blame each other. Don't judge or condemn each other. Don't find fault with each other, but accept each other as you are and forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. If you aren't familiar with the work of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I would suggest and recommend um, you spend some time researching him. He was an incredible human being with an incredible life story and was taken from us um, far too soon. I'd like to invite the band back up at this point. This is really difficult. And I would be remiss if I left uh, the front today preaching on this particular passage and did not acknowledge the abuses that have occurred in the name of unity. There are examples all over the church of how this has gone badly. Let me be very clear that if we are excusing bad behavior in the name of unity, either from leaders or those who support them, then we have grievously misunderstood what this means. We do not brush things under the rug. We do not settle things quietly and move on as though nothing has happened with zero consequences in the name of unity. That is perpetuating a cycle of supremacy and that is from the evil one. If this is part of your story today, let me say that I'm so sorry that this has happened to you. And I am so glad that you're here. I know from personal experience how difficult that decision can be to put yourself again into a system that has hurt you. There is a place for you here. There's a place for all of us here, and there is work for us to do here as well. I was reading a little bit in the book of Hebrews this week, um, and in chapter 6, it talks about the work that we do continually as believers in Jesus, moving beyond the elementary basics and going deeper into what it means to be a Christ follower. There is no stagnant life in the kingdom of God. We are constantly growing, constantly learning from each other and from Jesus. We need each other to grow and mature and become more like Christ. We will not get there on our own or only surrounded by people who look and think and act like we do. We are not a body full of only hands or only feet. All the parts work together to get it done. Sometimes some parts struggle, but then other parts come in to pick up the load. Sometimes we need help, and that is okay. 
that is good. That is the way it's meant to be. What a lonely life it would be if we could accomplish the whole of God's task on our very own. That doesn't sound like fun. That's not the kind of life that I want to live. I would much rather do it with you. Will you join me? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your presence here today. I thank you so much for everyone who is here and for everyone who is not here. God, I pray that you would fill our hearts and our souls and our minds with you. I pray that you would lead us well, that you would bring us together, and that we would be open to learning from you and from each other what it means to be your children, because we are all your children. We thank you today for Dave and Michaela. We thank you for everyone who helps this place go, because it's not just here. It's everywhere that we are. We thank you and we love you today. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.